You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Wow, Dr. Pym. Like, like, who would have thought that once again, in your hour of need, that, that you would turn to us, you know? Not me. Hmm. Help yourself. Hey, what's up with the fancy pastry? We got to keep the food budget down. Well, what are we supposed to have for breakfast? The oatmeal packets. Oatmeal packets. It's insult. Why is it insult? Because it tastes like sand. You know why? It's because it's organic. No, That's it's why. not organic. It's mm-hmm. sand. It's you the most you important meal of the day. You know what? You can get creative it with it. Break teeth. I'll put a little brown sugar on it. You put some cinnamon. Put a little honey. You, you, guys, no, guys, you guys, you guys, 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 come on, man. We got bigger fish to fry. Is that my desk? Yeah. What? Why do I have such a small desk? Well, because you weren't there when we were choosing desks. You snooze, you lose. Well, I was under house arrest. Yeah. You know what? This isn't even a desk. This is garbage. You found this outside amongst garbage. I got it at a rummage sale. So you save money on my desk? Guys! Hope, please. We need to focus, all right? We got to find that lab already. Jeez. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club. So excited to be here. I have got to say, this will probably be... The quantum of podcasts, uh, because, you know, honestly, if you put the word quantum in front of everything or anything, it just makes it sound smarter. Like right now I'm wearing quantum ear pods. That's right. Quantum ear pods and coming from the quantum zone. That's right. So everything is quantum here. Uh, you might call it the quantum of solace, but I am not alone because I am joined by none other then Brandy, Jackala. How are you, Brandy? I'm fine. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to laugh out loud. <laughs> oh, now I know why they call it the Quantum of Solace, right? The Bond movie, because apparently Bond was really just stuck in a quantum zone <laughs> by himself, yeah. which seems pretty lonely. Oh. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> so I, I'm sure everybody can tell we are going to be talking about Ant Man and Wasp tonight, which excited to dive into but just want to say a quick reminder to everybody you can find us all over the place um you can find us over on apple Podcasts, which is a perfect place to check all of the shows out but of course the 602 club and while you're there give us a star rating review let us know what you think um and uh help other people find the show with your star ratings and reviews um it you know there are a lot of different shows out there that are similar to the 602 Club. But if you love the 602 Club, the best way for other people to be able to find it is to give it a star rating review and let your voice be heard and more people find the show because of those ratings. So you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. If you'd like to send us an email, you can go to the website at Trek.FM slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come to me and any host that is on that week. And um, if you would like to get into the further conversations that everybody uh, around the network is having, as well as all the listeners, you can go over to the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook. 
few ways to get there. You can type Babel into the search field on Facebook and it'll bring you over there. Or you can go over to the website. Uh, and any of the show pages, there's a button that says discussion, and you click that, and that will let you in there as well. And then one of our moderators will let you into the group, and you can join in the discussion of all the shows that are happening here. So, we are back with Ant-Man again. Um, and I, I called the, the idea just small wonders. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I found it a small wonder that the first movie was as good as it was. Um, obviously it had a very troubled production history, uh, because Edgar Wright left and then Peyton Reed came in to direct and, you know, that's not uncommon these days it happens a lot um happens to pretty much every star wars movie uh mm. and uh but it turned out to be really good and so um i just wanted to first get your general impressions of you know diving back into this ant-man world to, since the last time we saw him which was in civil war yes um and this kind of picks up uh right sometime after that it seems to be close enough like it, it it's uh, two years of something have gone by because, well, Scott got caught. Yeah, well, it was kind of hard not to get caught when he was basically helpless after becoming gigantic. This is, this is so true. So he couldn't really run, and he, he pretty much was already resolved that he was going to get caught because he was the one who said, you know, we're not all going to make it out of this. You guys got to go, and mm -hmm. we'll distract everyone so yeah that's uh it's it's not you know obviously he was caught because he was in the prison underwater prison <laughs> that was a that was a very deep dark place but <laughs> i um i actually enjoyed i shouldn't say enjoy i liked the fact that there was continuity that there were repercussions for scott's actions and that in order to do what was best for his family um for his to be able to see his daughter and stay in touch with his daughter he basically made a plea deal where he would serve under house arrest and you know not have the suit anymore etc which he claims to have destroyed all of those things so i like that it starts out with that way that now he's coming to the end of his sentence, which honestly, it seems like two years under house arrest is a little bit of a slap on the wrist. So, because <laughs> I mean, they're saying he basically committed treason. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So I just, I felt like that was a very short time to be under house arrest. You know, um, it, it's interesting too, because it, it seems like uh, this probably answers somewhat the question where Hawkeye was as well. Mm that he probably made the same deal because we know how much his family meant to him. Exactly. And so, um, as well as, you know, the meme that's going around with Hawkeye, seeing all the stuff that's going down and being like, uh, I'll just stay here. Mm -hmm. So, um, what am I going to do with a bow and arrow against that? So Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Uh, it's how Green Arrow feels, you know. So, uh, <laughs> when, uh, you know, all the gods are involved, you know, you're just like, what am I going to do with a bow and arrow? Even if they are tricked bow and arrows, you know, so. Yeah. Um, no, I I like that, too. I, I enjoyed that they did pick up the continuity, obviously, with uh, Civil War and, um, it, you know, kind of explaining what happened to Scott since the last time we saw 
them. Um, we got the feeling that they were being released by Captain America uh, from the raft, but obviously Scott did not go with Cap. Uh, if only Cap could see you now. Um, and so, Ouch, you know, that's mean. Yeah. Um, that's just what we call him, okay? Uh, Captain America. Um <laughs> And so I, I thought that was a great way to start the story and, and, and uh, a great framing device for, you know, Scott's decision making. Um, and so that made a lot of sense to me. And I, I, I also liked that there were repercussions with his relationship with Hank and Hope. The fact that, you know, uh, him breaking that relationship with Hope, who he had been training with, and, you know, they had been doing other things with, as she says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that he never, he didn't tell her where she was going and didn't invite her to come with him. Um, you can understand why it would make them angry. Plus, you know, after everything went down, then what he did put them in danger and everything they have as well. Uh, because uh, then they were wanted because it was his tech. Yeah. So I just thought that was a nice way to to create um a good a good problem for the film. Yes. Because um as we'll talk about later there isn't necessarily a um a, a straight up villain as we have come to know them in the Marvel universe. Very true. Um this yeah, this movie has um is more about um, I think this movie is more about consequences and, and and repercussions and actions. And I thought that was really nice to see because I think it's important to have a movie. You know, I, so many times in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there are not a lot of repercussions that actually last. Um, <clears throat> end of an anyway. <laughs> um, you know, um, but this was really interesting of seeing, you know, Scott's decision in... Civil War creates this whole movie in a lot of ways, like all the setup for what's happened, where all the characters are, um, you know, especially the main characters. So uh, it is kind of a small wonder (laughs) that we um, have this setup because of one small action, which is Scott going to help Cap and the rest of the other heroes without telling or um, even including Hank and Hope in that decision. Um, and so I think that's something that's very, very interesting to see play out. I definitely feel the same way about that because that that's one of the things. There are consequences for your actions. And Scott spends a lot of the movie, a lot of the first part of the movie, apologizing. You know, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. And yet I, I'm left to wonder, but if he knew how things were going to turn out, would he still do it? Would he still go and help Cap. How committed was he to what Cap was doing and his perceived righteousness of it? Would he, knowing the outcome, still go do it? And I don't know the answer to that. I can't say with 100% certainty if knowing the outcome was going to be what it was, would he have still gone? I would like to think that he would, but part of me feels like he wouldn't go because he would want to protect his family above all. You know what? Um, I was thinking about that question, too, and I like that you were as well. And the thing I came to is I think that he would have just asked Hope 
I think if he could go back in time, yeah. he would ask Hope to go with him and she would go. I, I think that's the thing that would be different if he could do it again. You know, I like I like that aspect of it. And see, that's the thing. I don't I really don't know the answer. Because Scott is not Scott is a bit of a complex character. He's not really one dimensional and he's got he's got this past with being in prison and being an ex convict and how the world treats him because of that and his relationship with his daughter, which is now really great, and his relationship with his ex wife mm-hmm. is really great. <laughs> when they were all hugging, it was so adorable every time that happened. I'm oh my gosh. Like, <gasps> every time they all hugged was awesome. I was just like, yes. Yes, everybody get in there. I love it. And yeah. Oh, come back here and give me another one, you big guy. That was, yeah, that's awesome. Bobby Cannavale was just <laughs> <Yes>. delightful. <laughs> He's not in the movie very much, no, but he's... the parts that he is was really funny. Yeah, well, and he had he had a big role in the first one, so, you know. He I I think it's it's all good, but he was he was delightful, of course. Uh I <sighs> It's it's such a it's a slippery slope for me because I feel like my my personal feeling is if he could go back in time and do it again is he would want to ask hope. But I can't say with 100% certainty that that's actually what would have happened. So, cuz what if hope said no? What if Hank said no, yeah. you can't take the suit? Would he have gone anyway if that was the situation? But if that had happened, you know, at least they would have known he was going to do that and would have been blindsided by the events after they happened. Oh, all the different possibilities. Meta, meta wise, if all, if he, if he does it differently, does he end up in the quantum zone at the very end of the movie? Spoiler alert. um, So that he doesn't possibly get, you know, fried when the, the big snap happens. So, yeah, but. Do you think that that was because he was in the quantum realm or because... <laughs> I think they sidestepped the question because yeah. he is in the quantum realm so that, you know, um, you can... I, I don't know. Um, that That's a question I, I don't think they'll ever answer, obviously, because they don't have to. True. Um, I would like to think, this is just my own personal opinion, I would like to think that it's kind of a nod to... Uh, Hank Pym in the comics having been one of the founding members of the Avengers. In fact, Janet Van Dyne was the one who gave them the name the Avengers. And I I want to feel like that's a bit of a nod that they're preserving at least an incarnation of one of the original Avengers from the comics. I think I'm thinking too deeply on that and they probably just don't didn't think of that at all. But I like to imagine in my head canon, that's what I feel. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the question that you brought up, I think um, it goes to something that I saw in the movie, which is, you know, everything that's really going wrong in this film is at the expense of others. Like somebody is doing something at the expense of others. Mm -hmm. So it starts with uh, Scott's choice at the expense of others to go and help Cap by not thinking through all the ramifications, right? right? And then we see that, you know, playing out with Hank. Like, Hank is a person who apparently will do things at the expense of other people without thinking through what that will do to them. That's so true to the comics. Yes, and we see Ava's father do the same thing. He 
continues his research, puts his family in danger at the expense of others. And every single person is kind of working on this level to the end of this, which we were kind of talking about. There is no true villain in the movie, except for the arms dealer who's just a doofus. Um, One dimension. He doesn't really count. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The the movie's villain seems to be the selfishness of humanity that's in all of us. And, And when we... Stop thinking about our their actions based on how it's going to affect others. We can create problems, um, and and big problems because we don't really think through the consequences of our actions. As we were talking about at the beginning, I just thought that was kind of really neat to see you know, a, a Marvel movie kind of take that road where there really isn't a villain. Everybody kind of plays the villain in this movie at some point or another, the main character-wise. You know, they're they're making choices that lead somebody else to do something that we might see as quote-unquote villainous. Mm. But it, it's all, it's it's like this big pot of symbiosis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a big melting pot. Uh, I feel like, I mean, I know Ava's father is shown to be, you know, someone who is is irresponsible. But I put it I put this to you. What would have happened? How would it have happened differently had Hank not, you know, basically jumped off the project in a snit and basically has said to everyone, "Oh, this guy, this guy's incompetent, blah blah blah." You know, basically Hank has a habit of alienating people, especially people yes. that may be smarter than he is. Well, yeah, and it, I also got the sense that Hank is a perfectionist, and when people don't do things his way or when he perceives somebody has screwed up, there's no grace with Hank. It's like, nope, you're out. Yeah. You know, you're fired. Um, and, and that's exactly what he does to Ava's father. Now, this is what was interesting to me about the movie because Hank says, you know, I he he was off because he was stealing secrets and and, and stealing projects and stuff, which I, I wonder. Okay, is that really true, or is that your just your perception of what happened? Exactly. I think the movie. I think the movie leads us to to think. At least this is again this is my perception of it. The movie leads us to think that Ava's father was stealing things because then he goes to try and complete the research on his own. I don't know. It seems opaque enough to, you can read it a few different ways if you want. Yeah. I feel that Hank's interpretation of events is not always correct or his interpretation of people's actions. And so I don't know whether he may actually believe that this guy was stealing secrets, but it may not necessarily have been true because it's pretty hard to change Hank's mind on anything once he's got his mind set. And uh, I, I kind of feel, again, like this is a little bit of a nod to the Hank Pym of the comics. With It's kind of almost a level of paranoia with him because when he... When he, he you keep seeing all of these people he's worked with previously that he's just cast aside and you start to think, well, is the problem really them or is it you? Yep. Yep. And and that was interesting, too, because the movie never really truly makes Hank 
come to that realization, which was a little bit disappointing. Mm. I kind of wanted him to have that aha moment of like, oh, maybe I'm the jerk. I'm the jerk. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm the jerk. Oh, I am. I really am the jerk, you know. And so not not the Steve Martin jerk, no. but an actual jerk. Um, and it, I think you're absolutely right. There is a sense of, um, I think there's a sense of superiority. I think there's a sense of entitlement of his genius. Mm. And then there's a sense of paranoia that you get too. Um, and I think part of that, you know, it, it's at least they, I felt like they did a good job in the first movie of building why he was paranoid. Yes. And part of why he was paranoid was that, he had created something that he could, he saw could be the most dangerous thing ever to be created. Um, and S.H.I.E.L.D. having any part of it uh, is not what he wanted. Um, and I think we see, you know, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. makes awful choices because, you know, uh, poor Ava gets turned into a weapon first. And, you know, second, uh, no, no, there is no second. She's just a weapon. And I thought that was fascinating, too, because it, it, it goes to show how S.H.I.E.L.D. was really at this, by that point, a very corrupt organization. Yeah, well, and with the continuity, uh, the retroactive continuity of events in Winter Soldier, Hydra's been a part of it ever since World War II. Because... When Zola got in there through Operation Paperclip, that's when the seeds mm -hmm. started getting planted. So that's been going on for a long time. So it's not surprising to find out that there are parts of S.H.I.E.L.D. that did some really nasty things because there were Hydra people in there. Stuff that mm -hmm. maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. wouldn't have done otherwise had there not been that corrupt faction growing within it. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. And I think it also goes to show, um, you know, for me, it was fascinating because for S.H.I.E.L.D., it's like everything they find that it's how do we turn it into a weapon first and everything else is secondary. Mm -hmm. And part of that probably comes, like you said, through this whole idea that Hydra is at the root and they don't know it. And so that is kind of interesting. And I, it made you... The thing that I loved about this, again, there wasn't a true villain for the film. So when she tells her story about S.H.I.E.L.D. basically turning her into a weapon and then having her go on all these missions and everything, you get this character who is literally disconnected from the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, in every way, shape, and form. And then this organization, the only one who truly really takes her in... Uh, disconnects her further by having her basically like split her soul like Voldemort by killing people you know Poor so Crixes. I mean she <laughs> yeah she's even more disconnected then because of the horrible things she's had to do and so you really feel for this character and why she would be doing everything she can to get back what she lost which is to be able to be a part of this world fully because she can't. And what was beautiful to me was that Bill Foster is the only character in the movie who truly cares about her. Agreed. And it's his, it's his action that ends up saving her and for the most part um, and trying to keep her from doing things that will truly lead her to a darkness she can never overcome. You know, when she thinks about oh i could go after you know scott's daughter he's like no 
you do that, I'm out. Yeah. So um, I thought that was really nice. I, I thought that was, th- there's a lot of, I think, some really interesting character work in the movie. And part of that's because we get to see the, the gray of everyone here. Yes. And not just the black and white. And when characters kind of start to become more black or white is, is when, you know, the end of the movie is, is playing itself out. And I, so with that, I just, I felt like that part was really, it, it made it a more unique Marvel movie in that sense, because it wasn't quite just the formula. Uh, yeah. It wasn't the formula really at all, because to be fair, Marvel has well the marvel character universe i'm not saying the cinematic universe specifically but the marvel character universe can have some pretty boring villains and we've seen a few of those in the marvel films and it's way more yeah i'd I'd say that (laughs) ronan sorry Um, i mean you can cough a lot of names i can cough so many uh, pretty much all of them except loki well, Loki's yeah, Loki and, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of, uh, so let's just name the ones that aren't boring. So Loki, Loki. I think um, Pierce in Winter Soldier is also not boring. Yeah. Um, because he's got a lot of nuance to him. And I freaking love seeing Robert Redford in a Marvel movie. That made yeah. me yeah, that's super great. happy. Um, I thought Ego was actually a really interesting villain. Okay, true. Um, so we've got three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there we go. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I don't know. That'll be it. so. Hey, everybody on the Babel Conference or on Twitter, hit us up. Let us know what you think of uh, hashtag Marvel villains. Let us know what you think is a good Marvel villain if you thought we missed one. So yeah, and and if you if you want to label someone that is you know completely without redemption or merit, it's got to be Sonny Birch. But I wouldn't call him a villain. He's he's too one dimensional. He's just like a two bit tool. Yeah, he's just a he's a plot device, uh, and and that's all right. You know, it's not it's not my favorite thing in the world, but it's not the worst thing in the world either. I've seen far worse plot devices, but yeah, it's just like the minute you see him, you're like, oh oh, we got Walter Goggins. Well, he's definitely a bad guy. <laughs> so yeah, um, he, he yeah yeah. He was he was not my favorite part of the film. No. Uh, in fact, my favorite part of the film was probably when she's like, "This guy again," <laughs> because you know that's what we're all thinking. Like, uh, he's only there as a plot device, legitimately, yeah. uh, to make certain points move forward. So, and to create a barrier for our heroes. So, um, yeah, the guy who administering the truth serum was more interesting than Sunny Birch. <laughs> It's not, it's not, it's, it's not, it's truth, not serum. truth serum. There's no such thing. If it, if it walk like duck and quack like ducks, it duck. <laughs> um, oh, so good. Oh, that was really I funny. was so happy to see those um, boys back. So, yeah. uh, just total sidebar yeah. here. My friend Courtney and I, who I do cinema stories with, we came up with this brilliant idea. We think before Avengers 4, Lewis needs to tell the entire story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but in his way. Yes. And that should be the video. 
Can you imagine Lewis telling the story? But he could he could do it chronologically. So he could tell it like, oh man. So first there was this like first Avenger, and uh, it, like he's sort of like really skinny at the beginning, right? And then they gave him this serum dope. It it's, it made him huge, and and like that's Captain America. And his name was like Steve Rogers, and his best friend was Bucky. You know, like can't you just see yes. that happening? Kevin Feige, uh, get on that. Yes, uh, I'm just saying, steal it, bro. Totally Please. steal it. You don't even have to give me credit. I just want to see We want it. it all. We all want that. I can't think of any Marvel fan who does not want that. It would just be really it funny. Be the best thing ever. So, yeah. Um, so, back from the sidebar. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that I also thought was really fascinating about this movie, and it, it, I think it's probably the first movie where I really feel this, is that... This is a generational movie. Yes. Because we have the generations of Hank and Janet there being some of the first superheroes past Cap. You know, like they seem to be, it's before Iron Man, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, legitimately, they're the ones who pick up that mantle from Captain America. And, um, and then, you know, we, we see, with this, you know, passing on the legacy to Hope, and then of course with Scott, and we get the feeling with his daughter that she would really like to be a superhero. Which is she like the butterfly or the moth or something? Actually, she becomes a character named Stature in the comics. Um, she's one of mm. the young Avengers, and she has been exposed to enough pin particles that she can shrink or enlarge at will. Wow, that that's kind of cool. yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just. But I think that to me that that was something that was really interesting, and and honestly, it made it a really good like, it made it a nice family movie. This is a movie that celebrates and and talks about I think the importance of family. Agre- I know? agree, that is so true, and how important those bonds are, and how strong those bonds are even after decades. So with Janet being missing all of these years, and yet. That bond is still so strong between Janet and Hope and Janet and Hank that all they can think about is a way to get her back now. That there's got to be a way. And then Scott has his weird dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was it was neat to see the way that, you know, obviously the events of the first movie play into the whole idea that they could actually have an impact on Janet's life, that she could be not just gone and it was kind of interesting and i i wish that they had played with this idea more the whole idea of like following her voice i feel like they said that but then the way they the way it played out didn't seem like that as much Hmm. um it may have been metaphorical (laughs) yeah it was a little bit uh yeah it was interesting so but I, I just liked that idea because we saw that that voice was what got Scott back because, you know, it, he could hear his daughter still. And it gave him it was basically like um, the flash where, you know, his lightning rod to bring him back whenever he's too far into the speed force is Iris. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for Scott, his lightning rod is his daughter. And the same thing for, um, you know, Janet and Hank and, and Hope. So I thought that was really cool um, to, to see that. So um, what you what did you think about the family reunion, uh, the first family reunion? 
with uh, Hank and Hope and Janet. I mean, Scott. I mean, Janet. <laughs> I, I actually, this, this is what I think about it. I knew the second that uh, Paul Rudd became Janet, that Scott became Janet. Because Paul Rudd, to me, was really good at, at making that transformation. It was subtle, but at the same time, you just knew that something different was going on. And so the minute mm-hmm. he just, he, and it's just like a light switch flicking on. And then all of a sudden he's over at the computer and he's saying all this stuff. And I'm like, yep, he's definitely Janet. <laughs> so, yes. And I, I thought that it was adorable. <laughs> really? Because uh, he, he was very good at being someone who was smart and yet still portraying femininity without it being mm-hmm. over the top or insulting. So yeah. I actually really liked it. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. Um and it was it was a funny scene. Yes. It also became this funny touching scene between them where, you know, uh, you're feeling emotions with what's happening because it's the first time that they have talked to, you know, their wife or their mother. Mm-hmm in a very long time and and yet you're laughing but there was a moment where it was like it wasn't funny after a while because it was just what was happening and then of course it becomes funny again so they did a really good job with that i think in the movie um because too and i have to say this there were moments um from the trailer where there were jokes that had either been cut out or kind of reworked in the Mm. film that actually worked better like I, I felt like there were some moments where they realized we don't need humor here. Yeah, we just need to keep the action going, and I was I really appreciated that because that's for me where some of the Marvel movies have lost me. It's like we've taken a serious moment and ruined it because somebody had to tell a joke. Um, yeah. Although I think the biggest joke to me was Janet being Cybok. <laughs> I mean, Janet is Cybok, right? Share your pain with me and gain strength from the sharing. Isn't that what happened? Pretty much. That's pretty much what happened. I mean, she touched her face just, and stuff. I, it's like, yeah. It was basically a mind meld. I and it just cracked me up. Like the moment she said, "I feel you're in pain," I was like. Are you on Nimbus three? Like that—that that was um, not actually my first thought. Simply because Star Trek Five is not in my regular rotation of Star Trek films. Because well, I, disappointing. I disappointing. I'm sorry. I have not found a way to love that film. <laughs> I keep trying, but I have not found a way to love that film. So, although that is not the first thing that crossed my mind, once you have said that. I'm now going to not be able to make any other connections. So thanks a lot for that, Matt. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I just, I thought it was, it was really funny. So, um, because I was like, wow, this really is a Star Trek five moment. So, um, what did you think of, this is something that the more I've thought about it has bothered me and it's the quantum realm and the way that they dealt with it. Mm. Because how is Hank and his wife outside of the, in the quantum realm with no helmet on 
and still able to breathe, even though they were a quadrillion times smaller than oxygen molecules. How can it be possible that there's a suit that will shrink you down to the size of an insect while maintaining your mass and strength? No, but you make the mass and strength stronger. Like, you you actually have more density, so you're stronger. Yeah, so. but... <laughs> I just... I, it was like... It was a moment for me where I was like, they don't... He, it, it, it just... I know it's dumb. No, it's yes, okay. They're in the quantum realm in the first no, place. No, I so. wouldn't say. I would not say it's dumb, and I understand why that that would why that would irritate you. But that's the funny thing about something like that because it's it's all theoretical. We don't know enough about the quantum realm or quantum realities to make any kind of other than that they're awesome because we put the word quantum in front of totally. them. Totally, yo. In in a quantum realm, I'm like. I don't know, supermodel. Who cares? <laughs> I'm like a, and I feel like it. <laughs> that reminds me of Thirty Rock, where Tina Fey is like, "In Sea Town, I'm a model." Yep. <sighs> AKA Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so in the quantum realm, I'm a model. <laughs> mm -hmm. I totally, I totally could be a superhero there. You don't know. So it's, it's all basically there's there's like Star Trek level techno babble in this one, baby. There really is. There are, yeah, there really is. And and that's I mean, okay. I know I know enough about quantum physics and quantum mechanics to, you know, say, yeah, well that's plausible. But there's a lot that is just still really super theoretical and so they're just mm -hmm. taking advantage of that. But I I mean, I was surprised that Star Trek Discovery didn't fly by, you know, <laughs> the tardigrade field. So. Or, or have uh, Doctor Strange pop in and go, just passing through, thanks, bye. Yeah, exactly. Oh, did exactly. you need a lift? Well, and, that was <laughs> and that was something that was cool about this whole, I mean, and, and one of the neat things about the Ant-Man franchise is I think it adds a, a, this whole other layer to the Marvel Universe, which is really interesting. You know, um, Doctor Strange adds the mysticism. Mm -hmm which is really cool, even though they kind of ruin the mysticism by talking about it being from, like, other realities. And so it's not real mysticism. It's just, like, or supernaturalism. It's just, well, we're just getting those energies from other realities. So kind of ruins that for me. But this one, it's, like, there is this this part of, like, science where it is almost, it is indistinguishable for magic, you know? I mean, we've got healing particles and all these kind of things that come from this realm that we know nothing about. And apparently we could time travel, you mm. know, uh, with time vortexes and stuff. So, I mean, there's there's so much about it. I think it just, it creates, its it, it's it's a great comic booky thing. It is. And I really like what it adds. It is. And and here's here's something to maybe help you through the whole Doctor Strange mysticism thing. Yes, they may draw energy from other realms, but the way that they do that is very mystical. It is a, a whole lot of ritual and spells to do that. So there's still that level of mysticism there. Yeah, that's true. So I have a question for you. I have an answer. I hope so, <laughs> because this really bothered me about the movie. Okay. It doesn't really explain why Scott isn't a part of Infinity War. Because mm -hmm. why it like why are they running experiments at that point when the entire world is being attacked? 
why wouldn't Scott be like, and, and Wasp, you know, I mean, Hope be involved. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The entire world is under attack, and they're running experiments on the top of a building in San Francisco with no idea of what's happening? Do none of them have smartphones that are just blowing up with, like, the world is blowing up right now? Hmm. It just really bothered me. I can understand that, and I don't have a concrete explanation for that other than to say that this film takes place in the space of a couple of days as far as the events that are happening. Now, later on in the after credit sequence, some time has passed in between what happened during the events of this film. Right. And, so, which means Scott's free. Yeah. He's Scott free. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I heard, <laughs> I had to. I heard I mean, it in I my head to. before you I'm, even said it. I, I'm, I'm turning 39 tomorrow as we record this, which means I'm full of bad dad jokes, even though I'm not a dad. So, got to do You know, it. it's the best. Just wait until you're in your mid 40s. You really come into that dad joke prime, and it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. It's so great. I, I feel like that these events may have happened in the lead-up before Infinity War actually takes place. Because all of the stuff on Earth also seems to happen very quickly in Infinity War. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's taking place over several days or even weeks. It's, it's pretty quick. So there isn't, I think, a whole lot of time to prepare anything. However, yeah. Yeah. with that mid credit sequence being what it is, it is kind of odd that they don't have any clue what's going on up until this yes. point. Because at that... Because while they're running that experiment, like, the, like even before they got there and were setting up the... I mean, the, the six hours or whatever that Infinity War takes would have been happening, and it just seems like somebody would have, like... I mean, they just would have known. You would think that, and because, you know, they're still... Even if they're still technically fugitives and they have to stay off the grid, they still can see the news, and mm -hmm. there's no yes. way that no yes. one would be reporting all of that destruction in New yeah. York. Exactly. And, well... They may not necessarily be reporting the destruction in Wakanda, but you know, I mean, well, Wakanda, Wakanda's yeah. on the grid now, so maybe they were. I just don't right. know. Right. But I mean, it like, is... you think about, because New York is attacked, mm -hmm. Edinburgh's attacked, yeah. um, there are other places around the world that were being attacked, so it's like, this is, yeah, this was the thing that I could not rectify, okay, why... Do they, why are they running an experiment so that they'll, you know, disappear with the snap of a finger? Um, and the, it just, the timing didn't make any sense. Like it, yeah. it, it was like, it, it took me out of it because like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And unless they have something really good happening in, the next movie to explain it, it's a really mm -hmm. big plot hole. Because the the thing yeah. is, is when that sequence started, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes, me too. Exactly. Me too. I didn't actually expect all three of them, but once Scott was in the mm -hmm. quantum realm, I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to be stuck in there now. Yep. 
Well, and I was like, okay. And this was the thing. It's about the very end of the movie, and this is where I feel like it lost me. Was that, you know, the Ant-Man films up until this end credit sequence felt like that they were a lot like the Guardians part of the universe mm-hmm. where it's its own thing. And they yeah, they play with the others now. But what happens in their universe kind of stays in their universe. Mm-hmm. And Ant-Man, the films for the most part, were doing the same thing. But we get to this end credit sequence and it we got there and then of course the snap happens, they disappear and Scott's stuck and I'm like, so really this movie wasn't about anything Ant-Man wise. It was really about setting up Scott to be able to time travel in a vortex with healing particles and, you know, save the future by going back to the future. I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure that's not where they're going. I hope not. But it just it it did make me feel like this movie was just leading up to that moment instead of it leading up to all the things that had happened in the movie itself. Like it wasn't, yeah, it just frustrating. I understand that, but just. Where do you, so this is a question. So I have my frustrations. Where do you think it's headed? Make me feel better, Brandy. Because <laughs> I think you could, because you know the comics. And I so do, what but do you think? They've, there are things that have happened in the movies that do not coincide with the comics. And so, and I actually appreciate that because I don't want to know exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the fan service. I enjoy a nod here and there, Uh, but I don't want it to follow the comics exactly because that isn't what I signed up for. You've created this visual universe for me, this cinematic universe. Well, for, for, Everyone, I'm not saying specifically for me, of course, but and I don't want it to all be predictable, which is why I was really glad that they started Ant-Man with Scott Lang instead of Hank Pym. That actually really pleased me. I thought it was the right way to go, especially with the comic book Hank Pym's very troubled history. He was the one who created Ultron, by the way, and uh, just. Makes so much more sense in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for it to be Tony, Agree. right? Well, Tony and Hank actually share some characteristics. Uh, but Hank, I think, is a little bit de- further down that dark road. But in any case, I feel like Scott is what's, where Scott is is going to have some kind of effect on the events of the next Avengers movie. However... I don't know for sure what that effect is going to be, but quantum energy is going to have something to do with it. Maybe that is going to have something to do with it in relation to Adam Warlock, because if you think Adam Warlock isn't going to be a big part of Avengers 4, (laughs) then there was no reason to introduce him at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I mean, as long as Elizabeth Debicki's back, I'm okay Right? I'd watch her in anything. I mean, she's so good. Oh, she's mean, a um, she's brilliant. A man from Uncle. Oh, oh. <laughs> yes. She was she was hypnotizing, and I recognized her immediately in Guardians Two because I thought, oh, I saw her name in the credits. I was like, oh, Elizabeth Debicki's in this. That's exciting. And so, the, and she is so tall. She is so tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I love her. I think she's a brilliant actress, and I want to see more of her. So please include her. Well, I, I think you kind of have to because she's basically now Adam's mother. 
at this point. Yeah, so. yeah, that'll be it, that, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, I will say that I, I think you know uh, one of the best things the movie does is that for the most part it does feel quite removed. So it is a movie you can really enjoy on its own. Yeah. For the most part, because they tell you everything you need to know from the other films. They don't leave you hanging like that. And then um, this movie is really family friendly. There's very few things in this movie that aren't about family. And, and the movie itself has a lot of just family themes and stuff. And I think it's really kind of more safe for the whole family when it comes to Marvel. Like this is really um, a good movie in that sense. So I I appreciate that a lot. And so kind of wondering for you, um, where does the, like if you were going to rate Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, where does this one come down for you? You mean rate it on its own or against the other Marvel films? (laughs) Uh, no, just, just I mean, on its own. I think it. Um, yeah, just on its okay. own. We don't have to like put it in a ranking of all yeah. like thirty thousand Marvel films now. Yeah, it's too hard. Uh, I would. I enjoyed this movie a great deal, and I appreciated. I because the first the first film was, it was a heist film. You know, it was an mm-hmm. adventure, and it was very small. It was. In it, as yes, far as yes. lo- location and people affected, it was you know very unconnected with most of the rest of you know the the cinematic universe, except when he goes to Avenger headquarters, which he doesn't know is Avenger headquarters. And right. <laughs> anyway, fights Falcon. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, stuff. and and that was that was a good integration there. Not too much, not too little, just enough to remind us it is part of the same universe. And the second film feels that same way. It's, you know, cause there are always people who are going to ask, well, why didn't you just call this person for help? When blah, blah, blah. Well, how do you know that they're all just sitting around waiting for something to do? Maybe they're off doing other important stuff too. So just, maybe they're just, eating, yeah, you know? maybe they're Gosh. having shawarma again. You don't know. Just, yeah. just let him be. Maybe, maybe Vision walked through their wall and scared him half to yeah, death. Yeah, you just don't know. So I feel that this captured that same feeling of that sort of smaller Marvel universe, which is kind of what happened with the comics too. The comics never got like super big and super popular like a lot of the other titles, and so I feel like the movie is giving it more of its due with the characters than the comics were able to do because they're super recognizable now, super recognizable. And I love that. So, and I always rate things higher and even, even with its, with its flaws, uh, if you take out that end credit sequence, it becomes, I'm, I'm not sure what to do with that yet. So I will give it a tentative four quantum tunnels out of five. Ah, very nice, very nice. You know, um, I I had to go see the movie a second time. And that wasn't because I was, like, so in love with the movie. It was more because I was trying to think back for podcasting. <laughs> what happened again? Oh. And it was it was it was just more of that thing where I felt like the movie the movie was fun while I was watching it, but it didn't have anything that jumped out at me. You know, um, I, I think it's it's 
uh, a fun romp as a film. But I think the the thing that was most visually stimulating was like the car chases. Yes. Um, just because they're going bigger and smaller and, and that stuff was, was really fun and, and well done. But the rest of the movie, there isn't anything that like stands out to you where you're just like, oh, wow, that's the, you know, you, there's no moment where you're like, it's just that scene. That's the only, you know, like if you, if you only see it for this scene, that's the thing. And it, it doesn't do that. Um, I will say that the effects work here has been better than it has been in a lot of the Marvel movies recently. I was never taken out of the film by an effect so badly where I was like, oh, that does not look right. Um, that happened in, in um, Black Panther a few times, and it also happened in Infinity War a couple of times. But this one, I felt like, and maybe it's just because of the smaller scale of the film, <laughs> um, that... Um, they they were able to to pull it off better but you know um all in all i think i think this is a fun movie i think it's a mild diversion um and it's it's enjoyable while you're watching it but you might not remember too much of what happened um although i do have to say after getting to talk about it i you know i um this and on cinema stories i, I do feel like some of the themes were really nice um, and it is, I, I will say, one of the things that stands out to me in, in, in all of these films coming out, I do think this one, if, if you've got kids, is definitely much more family-friendly than some of the other Marvel films can be. So even just on, let's just say, like a crudity level, there's very, 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 there's like absolutely almost none of that here. Like this is a very clean movie in so many different ways. So I think for that... This movie, um, you know, gets three and a half out of five ants. <laughs> so uh, one of them got eaten by a seagull. So I only got half left. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a, it's not a bad little jaunt. So um, I'll be really interested to see what everybody else has to say about it here in the Bayville Conference. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate our associate producers there through Patreon. Um, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and of course. Uh, Daniel Noah has joined us as associate producer all through Patreon. Really want to thank um, all of them for supporting this show and making sure that everything on Trek FM Network comes to you each and every week. It's a massive network, and there's no way that we can do this on our own. Uh, and so you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm, see how you can support the network, be part of our team. Honestly, every little bit helps, but... If you want to give it certain contribution levels, we have some great perks that come with those. So again, patreon.com slash trekfm is the place to go. Uh, Brandy, thanks so much for being back. It's always so much fun to have you here in the 602 Club. Uh, but if anybody wants to talk to you more about Marvel, because I know you are kind of like a Marvel goddess, knowing all of these comic <laughs> things, uh, where can people find you? Well, I like that Marvel goddess. Mm, that's, that's, that feels pretty good. Uh, you, can, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Brandywine12. Uh, I lurk in the Babel Conference. I don't get to spend as much time in there as I would like because... My life has just gotten really busy this year. You can also uh, find me on Warp 5 on the Trek FM network, talking about Star Trek Enterprise, which is very dear to my heart. And I do a podcast with my husband, David, called The Dark Corner Podcast, which you can find at darkcornerpodcast.com. Uh, that one is not like Ant-Man. It is not family-friendly. 
Do not listen to it uh, on speakers at work either. There, there are swears. So <laughs> don't want you to get fired. Sorry, Patrick, CEO. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Well, well, you can uh, find me over on Twitter, MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram under the same name. I'm here on the network doing uh, The Orb with Chris Jones as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We hope to be back soon with more episodes, so be on the lookout for that. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Star Wars with John Mills. Uh, each and every week is just so much fun getting together to talk about him. Uh, in fact, uh, he was gone on vacation, so I had our good friend Nick Anastasio on, and we talked about uh, 10 years of the Clone Wars together, mm-hmm. so great show. I mean, yeah, uh, and, and not because of me, but it's, Nick was amazing, so please check that out. Uh, you could find me uh, over there doing Outposts with Drea Kaufman, as we talk about each and every chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then, I, last but not least, I've mentioned her on the show, but my friend Courtney and I do a show called Cinema Stories as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now. Thank you happy.